What do we do with this then? Well, you check your blind spots. You check your own blind spot. How do we do that? We do that through accountability, in community, and with humility. joined us. Uh, a very good morning, a very warm welcome uh, to the message of Church Online uh, this morning. Thank you to Brenda uh, for uh, helping out with the worship playlist this week. Thank you to Isaiah for reading scripture this week. And uh, we're now going to turn to the part of Church Church Online uh, where we look at God's Word together. Uh, just a really quick thing for me to say thank you again uh, for, the, for those of you that are, are still making the effort to make Friday morning at 10 o'clock the time that we gather as God's people. Yes, it looks different. Yes, it feels different, but this will not last forever, will it? And when we, we come back together, how what a, what a day that will be. What a joyous feeling that will be when you see everybody in real life that you've seen as a name on a screen. So if you're watching this on Catch Up, if you're listening to the podcast during the week, Uh, We would encourage you and exhort you to make that effort get up Friday morning, 10 o'clock, be with other people. It's encouraging for other people when they see you check in and chime in, and it's encouraging for you as well. So this morning then, John chapter 9, we're in the sixth week of a seven-week series. We're almost done looking at seven signs in John's gospel. Why are we doing this? Well, we said that signs show us things. We want the things, don't we? We don't want to be those who are overawed and get stuck in this rut of just looking at the signs and thinking, wow, that's great, but a sign will point you to something. So we want the something, don't we? Yes, we want to appreciate the sign, but more than that, we want to see what the sign points us to. Today then I want to ask you a very difficult question or two. Where do you have blind spots in your life? It's quite a difficult question. Are you even, maybe a a slightly easier question would be, are you even willing to admit that you have blind spots in your life? You know what what don't you know? And again, are you even willing to admit that there is some stuff that you just don't know? For me, it seems like the more that I learn, the more I become aware of how much I don't know. A little bit, <laughs> the funny thing about learning is a little bit makes you quite dangerous. <laughs> but the more you learn, the more you know that you don't know, the more you come to appreciate, wow, I've just scratched the surface. And it's really dangerous if we ever feel like, well, we've learned enough and we've arrived and there's nothing else for me to improve on. It's a very dangerous attitude to take and we're going to see it in action today and we're going to see what Jesus said about that attitude today. So the sign, the miracle, the wondrous deed is opening the eyes of the blind. 
We've just sung about it three, four, five, six times uh, this morning, uh, opening the eyes of the blind. There is a physical element to this, and there is a bigger picture, spiritual element to it as well. So we're going to walk through John chapter 9, and we're going to see both. This morning is a little bit different to previous weeks, where we've kind of built up to the sign. Uh, This morning, the sign is right at the beginning of the passage. Uh, Isaiah's already read it for us and thank you Isaiah again uh, for that but John chapter 9 verses 1 to 7 let's read it together Uh, grab your Bibles John chapter 9 verses 1 to 7 and this week we see the sign straight away right off the bat we're straight into action so John chapter 9 verse 1 says as he passed by he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So John 9, 1 to 7, there is the sign. Uh, The first couple of verses, Jesus and the disciples see a blind man and they want to know why. It's a very natural thing, isn't it? You see somebody blind from birth and you wonder why. Why has this happened? It's those old but ancient questions of, you know, why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen? Why? Why? Why is this happening? Where are they? Well, this this passage starts with, um, as he passed by, uh, and that's a a bit of an indicator that there's not really, there's no break uh, with the end of John chapter 8. So we can reasonably conclude that Jesus is still in Jerusalem and probably not around the temple area anymore. John 8, 59 says, the religious leaders picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple now as he was passing by maybe you think hang on a minute why were they trying to throw stones at him well in one verse back john 8:58 jesus said to them the jewish religious leaders i tell you the solemn truth before abraham came into existence i am now that was an explicit claim to deity he was very obviously and putting it out there, hey, hey look, um, I'm, I'm God. Before Abraham was even around, I, I, I am. I always am. He was telling them that he's God. They rejected, they disliked it, and they tried to stone him. And then he leaves. And as he's leaving, they see a man blind from birth. The disciples say, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And maybe you think, wow, that's kind of that's rude. You know, how could the disciples even think like that? You know, who sinned here? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Well, it was actually quite a a, a common way of thinking uh, in the culture of the day. And the disciples assumed that, that some kind of sin caused this man to be blind from birth. Regardless of who committed it, him or his parents, they assumed that it was sin 
that had caused this, and it was a very common belief in Judaism at the time. Uh, one particular tradition stated that when a pregnant woman worshipped in a, in a pagan or an idol temple, or when a pregnant woman worshipped uh, anything else other than the one true God, uh, then the unborn child was also party to that, that the unborn child also sinned. So we can kind of see the culture and the teachings of the day, how the disciples came up with this question, you know, who sinned here to make this guy blind? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus says, nobody sinned. He's physically blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him and through him, that the acts of God might be revealed through what happens to this guy. And Jesus follows up and says, look, we need to do this kind of thing, the deeds of the one who sent me. We need to see these works done whilst we've got the chance. And David Guzik said about this, that Jesus understood that opportunities for service and doing good don't last forever. Now, as a quick kind of side point, this is not the main point of what we're saying this morning, but if you are in Bahrain with a really fixed-term mentality, a very short-term mindset, you know, we've all met those people, uh, in two years, four months, and uh, six days, and two hours, I'm gone. Or, I'm just here for a year. And then 25 years later, you're still here. But I'm, I'm just here for a year. I'm just here for two years. Um, so I've got, I've got really, I've got no time to, to get involved. Uh, I'm not really going to do anything uh, while I'm here. Jesus says, no, don't think like that. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, yes, I know. He is talking about his earthly incarnational ministry, not you living in Bahrain. But in principle, what he's saying is that time is short and don't waste it. Time is short, make it count, is what he's saying in principle. So just something to chew over this week. And he follows up that statement with something that echoes some uh, chapter 8. You can go back and read that. And he kind of reiterates or says again uh, that he is the light of the world. He says in verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And it's not some physical description of himself. Uh, he's not likening himself to this light bulb. He's saying that his effect on people is like a light. You know, we see things better when there is a light shining on it, is what he's saying there. And a light allows you to see, is what he's saying. Now pay attention there because we're going to come back to this idea that Jesus is the light of the world and light allows you to see things. And so to illustrate this very spiritual, deep, universal point, he does something physical. So as we've just looked at a light and said, look, you can see things better because there is a light shining on it. And if you turn the light off, you, you, you can't see things as well. Jesus is making that point and he does so much more than points to a light bulb. He does something that to our modern minds and often uh, delicate sensibilities uh, might seem a little bit weird. Uh, we read that he spat on the ground 
made some mud with the saliva and he smeared it on the blind man's eyes. Now this is literal language. There are no word pictures here. And this is weird, isn't it? This is, <laughs> this is very, very different. Well, we can all agree on that. And it's especially different when we look back to the previous signs that we've looked at together, when we look back to things that we've talked about in the last few weeks, where Jesus healed people uh, just with his will and with his words. There was just a need, just trust in what he says. You know, he's not waiting to be invited here into a boat or some other mode of transportation before he heals this guy to make his point. Here it's very, very different. Here he gets his hands dirty, so to speak. Well, <laughs> actually, he, he literally gets his hands dirty, doesn't he? He's making mud. Why is this different then? We see that Jesus found it important to change how he did things so that nobody could claim he had a singular method of working a miracle. He, he, he had a singular mode of doing things. He, he did things differently so nobody could accuse him of being a one-trick pony, so to speak. Why is that important? Because it shows us that the power is with and in God, not in a particular method for doing a miracle. And so for you and for me, we need to accept the truth that you cannot teach people to heal miraculously. You cannot teach people to do miracles because the power is not with the person or in a method. The power is with and from God. You can teach people how to be doctors and advance medical technology and patient care and all that great stuff that people are endowed with knowledge to further. But you cannot teach people how to heal miraculously. There is no formula. Because otherwise, Jesus would have done it the same every time, wouldn't he? And I believe that in his great love for us, and in the condescension to become like us that we read of in Philippians chapter 2, he would have shared with us, hey look, this is how you do it. I'm going away now, but this is how you do it. But that didn't happen, did it? Because you cannot teach people to heal like he healed. Leon Morris said, in his ministry to the souls of men, Jesus adopted no stereotyped approach. He dealt with each man as his particular need required. Really simply then, Jesus found it important to change how he did things so nobody could claim he had a singular method or mode for doing a miracle. The power was in and with God, not in how he did things. Like here, a great example. Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. This guy listens. This guy obeys, and this guy comes back seeing. The blind man went away and washed and came back seeing. So the first, this is the first time in all of this, Genesis to John, this is the first time that a person born blind was healed of their blindness. No prophet, priest, or apostle ever gave sight to eyes born blind. It was a predicted work of the Messiah. 
Isaiah talks about it. We read about it in the Psalms. Opening eyes that were born blind was a predicted work of the Messiah. So that's what part of this sign is teaching us, that the, 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 the physical element of it, who Jesus is and what is within his power to do, that he is the long prophesied and predicted Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, Lord and sovereign over everything. We've said in the last few weeks, created natural and now even our frail and failing human bodies. That's what the physical element of this sign teaches us. Then, sadly, as was often the case, the investigations begin uh, and between verses 8 and 34, there are two uh, kind of investigations from the Pharisees. So we'll take kind of a 30,000 foot um, overview uh, of them and we'll move through it quite quickly uh, so we can get to the end of the chapter and talk about what this means for us. Uh, so the first investigation, verses 8 to 23, nobody believes that this was the guy that was born blind. And they're asking one another, how's this happened? How, this, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the guy that was born blind. Maybe it's not this guy that was born blind. And the man steps up and says, uh, it's me and it was Jesus. So then people want to come see Jesus as a result of this. But they take the man to the Pharisees, who were some of the more important and influential religious leaders of the day. And um, a little note from John, uh, verse 14, maybe in your Bibles, uh, is, in kinda, is in brackets. It's a little bit of extra information that John supplies that he did this on the Sabbath. Now, as very zealous keepers of the law, this would have annoyed the Pharisees no end. So this guy's come along and he's claiming this, that, and the other. We've tried to stone him and he's done it on the Sabbath. So been a, they would have already been annoyed with him, let's say. And uh, Bible scholar F.F. F. Bruce said that one of the categories of work specifically forbidden on the Sabbath was, was, was kneading, was mixing, was making. So the making of mud or clay as Jesus did with very simple ingredients, uh, earth and saliva, that was interpreted as a form of kneading and mixing and making. So then the, the Pharisees at this point would have been doubly annoyed with him. He's working on the Sabbath, doing a particular job that's particularly forbidden on the Sabbath. So they ask this guy, look, what's gone on? And he tells them the tale and they condemn Jesus as not being from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath in verse 16. Other people argue uh, that, look, um, how can a man who is a sinner do these things? If he's not from God, how, how is this stuff happening? So there's a division being made there as Jesus himself will later say. And uh, the Pharisees ask the man, what does he think? And he doesn't really yet know who Jesus is, uh, so he declares Jesus to be a prophet. Still don't believe him. They call his parents. What do you think? Is this, is this the guy born blind? And the parents say, look, um, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a grown-up. Ask him yourself. And they're worried about being excommunicated from the, from the community of God's people. You can read about that, what that the kind of thing that that meant um, in Ezra chapter 10. And for you and for me, the idea of being excommunicated, of being put out of the community of God's people, uh, probably 
doesn't mean a, a lot. It, it, it probably doesn't scare you too much because you can just go to another church down the road and pretend uh, that nothing ever happened. Uh, but at the time, it was a much, much bigger deal. So the parents, and we read again in verse 22, that his parents said these things. You'll ask him, don't ask us, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Much bigger deal at the time. And then verses 24 to 34, we get a second investigation. They still don't believe what's going on. And they kind of they put this guy under oath. Now maybe your Bible says in verse 24, um, so they, they call him again and they say, give glory to God and it's kind of a this it's an idiom it's a it's a formula it's like um, you know do you, do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth uh, maybe your Bible says give glory to God maybe it says promise before God to tell the truth they're putting him under oath promise to tell the truth because look we know we know that this guy is a sinner and the man born blind says uh, whether he is a sinner I do not know one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. And the Pharisees ask again, tell us the story. How did this happen? What happened? And the man says, look, I've already told you. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become disciples of Jesus? Uh, and uh, obviously they don't, they don't like that. They abuse him, claim superiority and exclusivity uh, over him and all these things, basically, in verses 28 and 29. Um, we read in verse 28, they reviled him. And the word that John uh, originally wrote with means to insult strongly, to slander him. They're trying to um, discredit what he said about Jesus by cutting down his own character. So you can see how, um, how little humanity has progressed in 2,000 years that this still goes on. They're trying to ruin this guy's witness and testimony by cutting down his own character. They're trying to discredit him by making him look like a liar, a cheat, a fraud, whatever they said about him. And then in verses 30 to 33, the, the man born blind uh, defends Jesus. And then the Pharisees, uh, at the end of that passage in verse 34, they answer him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So there's this attitude of we've arrived, we're superior, we know what we're talking about. Who are you to teach us? That's what they're saying. And they cast him out. So they're kind of shunning him from the community. So quite a lot going on there. And, and please do feel free to go back and read that passage uh, between uh, verses 8 and 34. But in a nutshell, there are two investigations because the Pharisees just don't believe what is going on. So at the start of John chapter 9, there's the sign. There are two investigations. And now, verses 35 to 41, at the end of the chapter, there's a great big point for you and for me. And it is that there is a huge, pressing, fundamental need in your life to have the right attitude and to admit where you've got blind spots, to admit where you are still a little bit or a lot spiritually blind. So let's read that again. John chapter 9 verses 35 
to 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So first in that passage then, uh, in verse 35, we see that Jesus pursues the ostracized and marginalized. Simply, Jesus has gone out of his way to find this guy that has been cast out by the religious leaders. Jesus heard they'd cast him out, and he goes to find him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man clarifies in verse 36 and says, who are you, who are you talking about? Who, who's that? And Jesus replies with this self-revelation of identity. He says, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And then the man believes and worships, and Jesus receives that worship in verse 38, he said, the man born blind said, I, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him, and Jesus accepts that worship. And then he shares with this guy a bit of purpose in verse 39, and John records these words as part of the bigger theme of his gospel. Uh, he shares it at the very, very end of the book. We've referenced it a, f a few times and probably will do again, uh, the bigger point of his gospel, that you believe, that you, that you hear about Jesus, that you read about Jesus, and that you see Jesus and understand enough that you believe. Uh, John 20 verse 30 says that all of these, these things are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And here he says, uh, Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, uh, those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. And it's all wrapped up around this same idea that he is the light of the world. He brings light into the world. By that we see, we see the truth, our eyes are opened. John recorded these things so that we can believe that Jesus is the Christ. He does things that are prophesied of the Messiah, of the Christ, right from the start of the book. And part of the believing, part of everything that John writes about is what we're about to read. So we've moved, we've moved now from the physical and the, and the local in verses 1 to 7. Jesus physically and locally healing one man's blindness to the spiritual and the universal. He's about to make a massive point that's been built on some evidence and some truth and some examples in verses 1 to 7. And he's about to make a massive point in verses 39 to 41. And as he demonstrated his spiritual point 
with a physical miracle at the start, didn't he? Now we're back. Now we're back. Bigger picture. So he says, I'm the light of the world. He does some stuff that's, that, that, that proves that. And now he's back to make the big point. And in verse 39, he shares a bit of um, mission, his purpose with this guy. And he says that uh, I've, I've come for judgment so that those who do not see may gain their sight. Now, part of the believing that John is urging us to have is the admission of blindness. Whereas in verses 1 to 7, he cured this guy of his physical, literal blindness. Now Jesus is talking about blindness in a spiritual, metaphorical sense of those who cannot see and then in comes the light and the truth. In comes the light and the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees overhear this and they ask a, a really loaded question. It's almost rhetorical in their mind. Uh, are we also blind? In verse 40. And the way that John recorded this anticipates a negative answer. And maybe your Bible says something like, you know, they overheard and they said, we are not blind too, are we? So they're at, you know, in their mind, it's a bit of a foregone conclusion. It's more of a, we're not blind though, are we? They're, they're anticipating a negative answer. So they just don't believe that they've got anything to learn. They just, they, they, they truly believe that they're not blind. And Jesus replies, look, if you were blind, you would have no sin, no guilt. Now, because you think you see, your sin, your guilt remains. Verse 41, you see, if the Pharisees and you and me will admit to spiritual blindness, there is forgiveness and freedom on hand. But because they say, we see their sin remains. And there is a huge difference between a person who admits their blindness and recognizes it and sees it and admits it and owns up to it and the person who simply shuts their eyes and pretends that everything is all right. So for you this morning right now, where are your blind spots? Are you even willing to admit that you've got blind spots in your life? Are you even willing to admit that there is some stuff that you just don't know? I read this week that the blind man received sight physically and this led him to see spiritually as well. That Jesus did this miracle to prove who he was the man received sight physically, and this led him to see spiritually as well. But the Pharisees who claimed to possess spiritual sight were actually spiritually blind. This man admitted his blindness, admitted his need. He said, didn't he, I do know one thing, although I was blind, now I see. And that's where, that's where we come in. So in John chapter 9, the sign in verses 1 to 7 that Isaiah read for us this week, 
that teaches us that, that physically and locally, Jesus has the ability and the desire to heal physical blindness. It also shows us that he can use whatever methods he chooses for a miracle, whatever system he chooses for a sign. Specifically here, healing somebody born blind to fulfill scripture and show the wondrous works of God in that man's life. He heals this man of physical blindness, fulfilled scripture, and conclusively showed those who knew that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one of God. So he heals of the physical blindness, and then he teaches about and warns against spiritual blindness. And he transcends there the natural and the supernatural. He goes from physical and local to spiritual and all-encompassing and universal. He challenges the Pharisees on their own spiritual blindness and sin. And the end of this passage is so strong. He says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So he goes from bigger picture to a local physical example of, uh, to demonstrate what he's talking about and then he opens it back up and he teaches big picture, spiritual, universal. So what do we do with this then? Where is our place in this passage? Well again, just think, are you willing to admit that you are still a little bit spiritually blind? Are you willing to admit that you've got areas in your life for growth and for learning? What do we do with this then? Well, you check your blind spots. You check your own blind spots. How do we do that? We do that through accountability, in community, and with humility. Let me say that again. What do we do with John chapter 9? We check our own blind spots. How do we do that? We do it through accountability, in community, and with humility through mutual submission to other believers with those God has put in your life to lead. Don't go looking far and wide for somebody to speak into your life to help you check your blind spots from a great big distance. Think of the principle of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Who is my neighbor? The person next to me with a need. Don't go looking far and wide for somebody to help you with this. Look within the, the family, look within the church family. If you're not sure, if you don't know too many people, reach out and ask for help. But this is on you. This is about your attitude. And this is, this is your challenge to check your own blind spots. And again, we do that through accountability in community and with humility the so passages like this john chapter 9 they're kind of like a fire they're like a fire that jesus has kindled in front of you and what i mean by that is that some people will be inescapably drawn towards this and they're going to do something about this they're going to take time today to check, do I have any blind spots? Where could I grow? Where could I learn? 
what are some areas that I just, I've got, I just don't know about? There may be even some people are, are, are going to see this, going to hear this, and they're going to, you know, they're maybe going to admit that you know what, I'm, I'm so spiritually blind that I need a guide. I need somebody to learn from, a yoke to take on. Some are going to hear this and want to learn more. They're going to want to be more. They're going to want to do more. Some will check blind spots, seek out accountability and guidance within the community, and they'll do it humbly. Some people, they're going to admire this. They're going to appreciate this from a distance. They're going to say, yeah, there's some truth in that. But I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to experience it. I'm not going to commit to it. Uh, some people are going to hear this, see this, understand this, and then generally just be a little bit lukewarm about the whole thing, which is a very, very dangerous place to be. The Word has a very, very strong warning for you if that's you, with that attitude of, oh yeah, oh, bad, bad Pharisees. Thank goodness I am not like that. Good job I'm not like that. Uh, I've got no need to actually do something about what this passage teaches. Uh, but, you know, I can see that it does teach that, but it's not really for me. It's a very, very dangerous attitude to have. And some people are going to hear this, they're going to see this, they're going to read this, they're going to run away from this completely because they know they've got blind spots and you're just not ready or willing to do anything about it. Or, as a complete modern-day Pharisee, you truly believe that you have arrived and that nobody can teach you anything. That attitude of, who are you to teach me? This is obviously not for me because I know what I know and I think what I think and I've got no blind spots. I'm like an owl. I see everything all the time, even at night, like an owl. That's a, a horrible attitude. Please don't be those people. We're all in there somewhere. There's probably elements of our character that are in all three camps, ready to do something, admit the truth, but a bit lukewarm and absolutely, uh, absolutely not. Who are you to talk to me about this stuff? We're all in there somewhere. And my prayer for you this week is that you are able to say and that you are able to admit that you've got blind spots that you are able to admit that you've got areas to grow in to learn about to go deeper in and then like the man here that you can say do you know what i'm not sure about that but i do know this that i was blind and now i see because of jesus so john chapter 9 what do we do with it then you check your blind spots.